praise his name. Realize most of you, especially if you're mature in the Lord, if you know the Lord, have known the Lord for some time, but the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul found that there was a doctrinal error among them, and he's, the, the, the letter of Galatians basically corrects it, but there is something here I would like to bring out and, and, and apply it as it regards to missions. In chapter uh, 4, verse 16, and is it the custom to stand or, or no? Well, if you don't mind, let's stand if you're physically able, and you follow as I read these verses. There's only four of them here. It says, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you, that ye might affect them. But it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, of whom I travail in birth again, until Christ be formed in you. Thank you, brethren. Have a seat. And you realize that just about anything that the Apostle Paul wrote could be applied to missions because he was basically a missionary. And, uh, you know, even the, even the uh, pastoral epistles that he wrote, they were people that he brought to the Lord, or maybe Timothy may have been saved and he brought them up, one or the, one or the other. But at any rate, he, basically what he wrote you could apply to missions many of the texts there. But here we find that the Apostle Paul, as he attempted to correct the, uh, the, uh, the error among the Galatians, he said something interesting in the 19th verse. He said, My little children, of whom I travail in birth again, until Christ be formed in you. You know, he really let us know that it's not a simple, easy thing to get someone saved and to get them matured in the Lord, is it? He's saying... My little children of whom I travailed in birth again. Most of us guys who have kids, you know, my brother told me, he said, when my kids were born, she had it easy. She got to lay down, and I was wringing my hands. <laughs> he was a little, exa- a little bit wrong there, wasn't he? But I was there when all of my children were born. In, uh, in Mexico, the, the, the nurse wouldn't, wouldn't let me enter when one of them was born, but the other three, I was right, right there with my wife. And I remember the pain that she went through. And just the birth process was not all that there was to it. When, uh, I remember when she, got, when she got pregnant with the first one. And, man, the things started changing in her body. And the things, the first trimester, one time she said to me, I want some green beans and rice. So I went out and got her some green beans and rice. And, you know, she cooked the stuff. And then she got sick to her stomach. She couldn't even look at it. She was changing, Right? And I remember, you know, in the nighttime when her stomach started getting bigger and bigger and she'd be scratching at night, you know. So I thought I was sleeping with Fido. <laughs> and she, and she, she just went through all these changes, and they were all actually a sacrifice that she was making for the junior. And, um, and then I didn't learn until afterwards, but they say that the, the baby takes the, when she eats something, the baby takes the, the nutrients first from her body. And, and so she may end up being, you know, needing some vitamin or something because the baby was taken. And she's, you're sa- it's a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice when they're born, and it doesn't stop there. And you know, the, the, the children are, 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 you know, I knew all of ours were going to be Baptists because every two hours, man, I want to eat. You know, I mean, <laughs> they just raised the roof, right? I mean, that's what babies do. And, in fact, I think ours might end up being deacons. They were so... <laughs> But at any rate, brethren, they, it's one sacrifice after another. When they're sick, 
you know, I remember I would have to fake like I was asleep, so she'd get up and go, <laughs> go take care of them. <laughs> but, and she, she put out a tremendous amount of sacrifice, not just for one of them, but for all four of them, and loved those kids and, and sacrificed herself. And, um, and some of it was painful, and it was a process. All of it was a process. But I would ask you, ladies, did she love those children less because of the sacrifices she made or did she love them more? Come on. She loved them more. You know, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. When you invest into something, whether it be labor, whether it be finances, when you, whether it be praying, then your heart is more there than it would be if you hadn't invested in it. Kind of like throwing an anchor in the water. Your heart's coming with it. And when she invested in those children, I remember after she went through pain with the first one, all of a sudden I remember that. I mean, because that one was the first one that was new to me, you know, and the first time I'd seen this, you know. All of a sudden, when Jesus said, you know, she, all the sorrow's gone for the joy of a man child, I saw it in my wife. When that little baby was born, oh, man, all she could do was, was hold on to him. And, you know, she'd gone through so much, and now she loved them more. Keeping that in mind, let me read that 19th verse again. My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. What do you think the Apostle Paul thought about those Galatians? He's now travailed in birth with them more than once. Now, if I ask you ladies, would you like to go home and travail in birth tonight? Nah, we ain't liking that one. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a painful process. And I would say that everything about missions is a painful process. I remember when I started speaking Spanish. I went and I started preaching in Spanish. I went and I bought myself this big old bottle of aspirins because I was using the dictionary so much trying to find out these different words. And I, I would get headaches. And I'd take those aspirins. And I remember when I began to, uh, to speak in Spanish, and I remember one time we were, we were witnessing, I was pretty new at it in Spanish, and this, this young fellow's with me, and back in them days I was a young man, and we're, we're out uh, witnessing, and we knock on this lady's door, and we walked into their, into their yard, and, and uh, they had a little pet rabbit running around the yard, and we closed the chain-link fence behind us. Walked up there and witnessed to this gal, and, and she did not get saved, but, you know, we asked her, would you come to church tomorrow? And she had a teenage daughter there, and, yeah, yeah, I'll come to church tomorrow, you know. And so uh, uh, she had evidently been married and divorced, or either they were just separated or something. But you could tell there was some bitterness with, uh, with the husband. It, but she did not come to church with us, uh, with us that, that following day. And so we stopped by there the following Saturday to see her. And the same guy was with me. He was from uh, Guatemala or he was Central America, you know. El Salvador or, or maybe Costa Rica or somewhere. I forget where he told me. But, but um, And we went up and, and knocked on the door. And as we were coming in the gate, I noticed that the little pet rabbit had gotten out. And it was up and under a, a car. And I tried to tell this lady in my Spanish that was pretty new at that point. I tried to tell her her rabbit escaped and was running out in the street. But I made a mistake. I said, tu canijo escapó y anda en la calle. What I was telling her was... Your jerk, now she's thinking about her husband, right, or her, her ex. I said, your jerk escaped and he's running the streets or something. And, she, and, she's, and she's thinking, was he in prison or something? I'm not sure what she was thinking. But I remember, I never seen a Mexican turn white until that day. She just went, I mean, her mouth dropped open and everything, you know. 
and, and the brother that was with me, he said, no, no, that word don't mean jerk, because, you know, in Central America it might mean something different. He said, that word means pervert. Your pervert escaped, and he's running out in the street. So things didn't go well. All of this is somewhat of a sacrifice. All of this. You know, you, you know, it's funny now, but let me tell you, brethren, when it happened, it wasn't real laughable. It, and uh, all of this stuff is a sacrifice. You know, I think, and I think as important as speaking Spanish, well, I think is to understand them, to know the people, to understand what they're thinking, to understand their culture, to understand their background. When you get in with them, it's a little bit, a little bit different. Um, and I think that's almost as, as important as speaking their language well. Uh, when the, um, when you live, live with them, you find out all kinds of stuff, you know. And, and Mexico, strange as it is, you know, it's impolite. If they got music that is blaring, it's just, you can't even talk. It's impolite to go ask them to turn it down. <laughs> you know, when your kids are little trying to sleep, and I mean, they got music and your walls are shaking. Or when we first, first started our church down there, we were across the street. We used my living room to start in. And uh, right across the street, they just opened up a new store, and they got this rock music Sunday. Uh, I mean, they put speakers out there, like six or eight of them, about that tall. And they had these girls dancing. I mean, they were, you know, they were wearing less, you know, <laughs> less cloth than you can get, make out of a, doc, a box of dental floss. I mean, you could get more, if you use a box of dental floss, you could have made more uh, 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 clothing than they, they were wearing. I mean, it was embarrassing. And it was so loud. I couldn't preach. I went down there. It was just before church. I wasn't preaching yet or anything, teaching Sunday school or anything. But I went down there and just asked them. And for that, you know, they understood then. And they turned it down. But normally that would be, we would be the ones who were being impolite. It's just a different culture. It's the way they think. And important for us is to learn how they think, to live with them, and to begin to understand them. You know, all of this is somewhat of a sacrifice. You go there. Your kids are the ones who are going to get, get sick. You know, I'm, and, and it's a sacrifice. You're travailing in birth with them and when they get saved. And there's a lot of stuff goes, a lot of, a lot of stuff goes on in the mission field, you know. And I remember, you know, of all people on earth to steal from us, the banks, <laughs> we, we, they sent our money down one time. And, and I called up at the beginning of the month, and I called up and asked, is it, has our money gone out yet? It's like three days later. Yeah, we sent it three or four days ago. And so they put a trailer on it, and somebody in the bank had pocketed our money. I mean, that's, you know, that's something you don't find too often here, right? But you ain't in Kansas, Dorothy. I mean, it's a whole different ballgame. It's a sacrifice, but the reward is great. You can rem- I can remember a young man got saved. He's about 30, 35. And uh, I was out knocking on doors, and, and it had been a long time. We hadn't had, I'm saying eight, ten months, we had not had anyone saved. And as I'm out knocking on doors, I'm, I'm conscious, of, conscious of this, right? And so I go to this door, and this lady, she had listened to me, witnessed to her, maybe six times before, eight times before. And this day, nothing, nothing new. So I leave, and, and I'm reading my devotions that week. I'm reading where Christ went into the Mount of Transfiguration. And there in the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, He's, he's up there with uh, Peter and James and John, and they come down. And do you remember this? As they come down, a man with, I think, a demon-possessed son, I think it was, came to the other nine apostles and asked them to heal their, his son, to take the demon out of him, throw the demon out. And, uh, and they couldn't do it. But as Christ comes down, he just says, you know, 
I forget what he said, come out of them or whatever. And the, and, and the demon leaves the, the young man. And later the apostles asked and said, why couldn't we do that? And then Jesus said, this kind cometh forth by what? Prayer and fasting. Now, I had been praying, but I figured the Lord put that in my devotion life because that's what he wanted out of me. And so that Sunday night, I ate, but the next time I ate was Saturday morning. Now, six, eight, maybe ten months have gone by, and we've had no one saved. The very day that I broke my fast, I knocked on the same lady's door who had come to the door every time and heard me present the gospel, I don't know how many times. And she came to the door and said, I'm just leaving to go to the grocery store. Okay. So I walked off, and I maybe got from here to the beginning of the parking lot out here, and and all of a sudden, this boy comes out and says, Mr., 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 my daddy wants to talk to you. And I turned around, went back, and I'm telling you, in 15 minutes, this man was saved. He became my right hand in the ministry for probably two years. Let me ask you a question. Was it a coincidence, or did God want me to travail? I think the Lord wanted me to fast. How could it have been otherwise? The very day that I broke my fast, this man is saved, and he's not only saved. I mean, he become, I mean, I soon baptized him, and he would go out witnessing with me. He's in the scriptures. You know, this was not just, you know, your average uh, Joe Blow. This guy was getting into it. Why such a tremendous sacrifice? You sacrifice. The church sacrifices. You know, you could use that money that you're putting into missions. I don't know how much money the church puts into missions here. I, I know our budget's pretty hefty in missions. You know, you could put that into something else, like some new toilets. <laughs> but, but why the sacrifice? Why should, we, why should we travail and birth again? You know, if you have somebody saved, if you suppose you go out witness or you witness to your neighbor and, and he listens to you and maybe he listens to you a couple times and, and, and sooner or later you begin praying for him and, and maybe you fast for him and maybe you buy him a, a book. I, I, I remember I gave, a, I gave a book to a fellow one time and he read the whole book and it was about, about salvation. And, and, and the guy is reading the book. You put money into it. You put time into it. You put prayer into it. And then this guy gets saved. But it's just starting there. It's not over. It's just starting. You know, if your baby was born, you don't abandon him. You're there. You carry him everywhere at first because he's not strong enough and coordinated enough to, to move himself. And with a with young Christian, you do the same thing. I remember when we were in Colorado, this Hispanic fellow we had the chance to win to the Lord, he... Uh, he, uh, he'd been saved, and, and um, I went over to his house. He was maybe six weeks into the Lord, and, and I went over to his house, and just as they were fixing to leave, and he said, Brother, we've met some people that are just like you. Oh, yeah. Who are these people? Because every time I found somebody who's just like you, usually they're trying to haul them out of your church. And so they were fixing to go over there and, and eat together with this family that they'd met. And if you don't understand this about the Spanish culture, if, if I invite you to my house in Mexico, and somebody shows up at your house, you just bring them on along with you. Now, that's something, it's cultural, right? So he invited me to go with them. So I went over here, and here's this big family, and one man, and I noticed two women, about eight kids. So we went into the house, and all these little blondies are running around all over, and 
And uh, the the man understood not to ask me who I was right away. He wanted to break the ice with me. This guy was a Mormon. And so, just like you. See, Jose was an infant in Christ. He, we didn't just turn him loose. We had to carry him every way, everywhere. And when he started to walk around, we had to hold his little arms up, right? I mean, he's an infant in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this guy would have tried to have pulled him out of our church and gotten him into that abomination. So this guy, we're eating together, and, and pretty soon he, he looks at me, and you know, after we're there 20 minutes or so, and he said, who are you? I said, I'm Jose's pastor. He just got saved, you know, six weeks ago. And he knows the Lord Jesus Christ. It was the last time they ever invited him over to eat their house. But you have to. During, like an infant picks up something on the floor and pops it in his mouth and might even swallow it. You have to watch him. It's travailing in birth. Why such a great sacrifice? Look at the Apostle Paul, for instance. You realize he was beaten with a cat and nine tails. How many times? Five times he's beaten with a cat of nine tails. Now, I've read about 100 pages of Josephus. <laughs> That's all I could handle. But I read about 100 pages of Josephus. And um, Josephus said that men often died being beaten once. But you know who Paul was, right? He's this great apostle. And we know that he was born in Tarsus. So I have a question. How could he have gotten out of any one of those beatings? What would he have had to have done? Can anyone tell me? He would have had to have done this. I'm Roman, and they would not have touched him. But you know what? He suffered those beatings for a real reason. Hold your place here in the scriptures, and let's go over to 1 Peter. 1 Peter 3. Verse 8 and 9. And then we're going to read two more verses in chapter 4. But verse Peter 3, 8 and 9 say, Finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. Listen to what it says here. Not rendering evil for evil, or railing for railing. But contrarywise, bless, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. So we're called to do good when people do evil to us. Chapter 4, verse 13. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. God tells us here we're called, but you know, and part of this, part of this of giving of ourselves to the Lord and ministering in other nations, part of it's going to be some, some pain, but it's worth it. When you see this Jose, this, this fellow went, uh, we'd started a church in Colorado, and he was there, and my brother told me to take the Hispanics apart and preach to them. But my Spanish at that point, I went to language school afterward, but my Spanish at that point wasn't sufficient. 
And they eventually, they, you know, you're the one that leads them to the Lord, and they think you're the best thing since sliced bread. But, you know, uh, he eventually told me, he said, we're going to an all-Spanish church up in Denver. Okay, you know, with our blessing. But um, um, this guy became the treasurer up there at the Spanish department. I mean, he was just faithful and just, just a good man. That is what makes it worth it. You know, like Jesus said, a lady goes through the pain and travail, and then she has a man-child, and she forgets all about the travail. When you have someone saved, and you see them growing in the Lord, and you get to baptize them, and, and they're hungry for the Word of God, all their travail is forgotten. It's over. You don't even think about it. In, in the mission field, you get to see that fairly often. He travailed and birthed, Jesus travailed and birthed again for us. He gave his life. And can you imagine, I think of this sometimes, how patient our Lord must be to see me sin again and again and again. Open your mouth and insert your foot or speak a little harshly to someone. He sees us and he knows us. He knows what's in our heart. Can you imagine the patience? And he's continually before the Father being our um, advocate. And can you imagine the patience of our Lord? He's putting up with us. And, and it's tremendous what the Lord has done for us. And now he calls us to be like himself. This thing of missions, it's a tremendous sacrifice. The church sacrifices itself. Um, I was reading something, I think, I think there's a mission board in Georgia that puts this out. But you know, there's about 10,000 independent Baptist missionaries out there today. Now, some of them are in the States. You know, some of them are you know, to the Jews or to Utah or something like that. Uh, but um, about 10,000 of them. Can you imagine the amount of money that has to go into those people? To put 10,000? This must be, I would guess, this must be the zenith in the church age of missionaries being sent out. 10,000 of them. And that's just the independent Baptists in our nation. So what about the ones that Mexico sends? Or what, about the, or what about the Southern Baptist ones? Or what about the non-denominational ones? Or what about the Bible church ones? You know, there's more than just us. And uh, it's a tremendous, but the Lord said in verse, in Corinthians, he said, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. It's on our hands now. He has told us, you're going to travail in birth now. You're going to be the one doing the sacrifice now. And it's nothing to be shy of. It's nothing to be back off from. It's a blessing. When I put my money, you know, we only give not even $200, $175 a month, my wife and I, but, but it's a blessing. Some of those people out there, are, you know, whoever's getting our money is going, to, is going to have people saved as a result of our dollars being put into it. And you, you sacrifice a tremendous amount. And as you put money into missions, as you put money into the, the ministry, it's tremendous work that you're doing. Um, and I think, I'm, I'm guessing at this, but I think we're probably at the zenith of the missions movement in the church age. I can't think of when it, if not, I can't think when it would, uh, when other, you know, what other nation has sent that many missionaries out. But the, um, and the church sacrifices a lot. I know some of you pray a lot for missionaries, and like we do, we you know got prayer cards. I keep one in my Bible, and or keep one on my shelf at the house, and, and pray for them. But do you stop and think what it takes to put a missionary on the food? You 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 stop and think what it takes 
to win someone to the Lord and see them mature in the Lord. The minute he gets saved, oh, Satan's zeroing in on him. He's got the old rifle out there. He's just dialing his scope in, and he's ready to take him out if he can. But you, you get someone saved, and you bring him over to your house to begin to disciple him, or you take him under your wing. Um, we got a fellow. I was after him for two years over there in, in, in Ackworth, uh, and, and he's just, I think right now, he could almost fit a deacon. He's been saved about two years now. For the two years before that, we would go by his house. At first, it was every week. But we would be after this guy over and over and over again. And once in a while, he'd pop into church, you know, and he'd listen to the word, and he'd walk away. And I thought he was never going to get saved. But um, somebody else, I didn't even have the chance to lead him to the Lord. Somebody else at his job site invited him to a, a retreat, a non-denominational fellow. And Daniel got saved there. You know, for two years, you're investing a lot into someone. If you go over to his house and you spend 20 minutes each time you visit him or half an hour each time you visit him, and you do it, who knows how many times, 50 times maybe. And we would give him uh, uh, tracts. I'd witness to him, leave him with a tract because I thought if I witnessed to him and then left him with a tract, he'd read the tract later. I'd give him material to read. I'd bring some of these. There's a tremendous uh, movie about salvation in Spanish, it's called Con Quien Te Vas, and it's, it's got preaching in there and stuff, and it's got a guy witnessing to this other guy, and eventually, it's, it was a story of a man who got saved back in the 1980s in Mexico, and eventually came to the Lord, so I lend that to Daniel, and, and any, any movie that had the, the salvation in it, I would give to him, it's just one more way to get the, get the word of God into him, because he's going to sit there and watch this movie, see how some Mexican down in Mexico got saved, and then it's just, the word of God's going to penetrate some people just walk away, some people get saved. But you know, all of that to say that it is a tremendous thing. Now Daniel, he brings people to church, he witnesses to people, he's passing out tracts, he's a tither, he gives to the faith promise missions. This guy's doing a great job for the Lord. I think he's just about, the quality-wise, he's faithful to the Lord. I think he's close to being, I mean, this is a tremendous statement, close to being deacon caliber. Uh, just a just a great guy. He works at the church sometimes. He does air conditionings and you know refrigeration and stuff. And he's put a lot of time in the church, working for the church. But all that to say this, brethren, it's a sacrifice. But when you see a Daniel, when you see a Jose, right? We it's just it's just when you see a Norberto, it's just makes all the travail go away. It's worth it. We're going to con uh, conclude this evening by looking over to Matthew chapter 10, please. Verse 41, Matthew chapter 10, verse 41. <clears throat> it says here, Christ is obviously talking. It says, he that receiveth you receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. He that receiveth a prophet, in the name of a prophet, shall receive a prophet's reward. And he that receiveth a righteous man, in the name of a righteous man, shall receive a righteous man's reward. Brother Ray, have you ever read uh, Alfred Edersheim, much of Alfred Edersheim? Great guy. My brother, when we started that church together, my brother bought me a, a set of four books. And one of them, I think the, the title is 
the life and times of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Edersheim's been dead for years and years, but uh, he was a Jew, and he wrote a lot about the Jewish culture. It gives some understanding in the scriptures. He wrote not specifically about this verse, but he wrote specifically about this uh, part of the Jewish culture. If I were to ask you tonight, and I would, I would read these verses before and wouldn't quite grasp them, but if I were to ask you tonight, what does it mean to receive someone when Christ was talking here? He that receiveth you. What does that mean to receive someone in the Jewish culture? Well, the idea back in those days was, for instance, Jerusalem during the three, the Feast of Pentecost and Passover and Tabernacles, all these people from outside would come into this city, and you got a city of a million people swelling to being a city of two million people, and the question is, where do they stay? The Jews frequently had flat roofs, and above their roof, sometimes they build basically an apartment. And so when we read about Christ eating the last Passover, eating the last supper, where is he? The upper room. And that's exactly what an upper room was. So to receive someone would be to give them lodging, would be take care of their needs. In the Old Testament, you remember Elisha? He goes by and this lady, she, she says to her husband, I, I'm going to invite this guy out. He's in to eat, you know. And so Elisha's coming by. Hey, come on in and eat with us. They eat together and he leaves. And I think she said to him something like, uh, I perceive that this is a, a prophet or a man of God or something to that effect. And, and so they began uh, receiving him. And not only did they receive him, do you remember they built on an extra room for him? And they put in there a table and a chair and a bed and a candlestick. And whenever Elisha came by, Elisha could be received, meaning that they would feed him, they would take care of him. If he needed a doctor, they could run out and get the doctor for him. If he just needed a couple days to rest, they had a room that they had prepared for Elisha. And that was to receive someone. And this is from Genesis all the way to 1st, 2nd, or 3rd, one of those Johns where, where John was not received. Do you remember that? Uh, I forget who it was, took the church, and, and this guy was after this, this guy was a rascal, and he got into the position of pastor somehow, and he would not receive John. Now, John was an apostle. How are you not going to receive him? But, but anyways, that was the idea of receiving someone to, to, to take care of them, to meet their needs, to give them food and, and, and hospitality and, and put them up. And so let's read that 41st verse again. He that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall what? Come on now, brethren. Shall receive what? Ah, he'll receive a prophet's reward. And it says there, and, and he that receiveth a righteous man in the name of a righteous man, what? So to understand this, let's fast forward to the judgment seat of Christ. Here comes Elisha. And Jesus looks at him and says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. And whatever a prophet's reward is, Elisha receives it and goes on into heaven. Now here comes the family that received Elisha. When Elisha was hungry, they fed him. When Elisha needed a place to sleep, if Elisha needed his, his robe washed, she could wash it. If it was torn, she could mend it. They took care of Elisha. So they come before Jesus, and Jesus looks at them and says, Well done, good and faithful servant. 
hit the road? Huh? Go into heaven, but you don't get a reward? He that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet, what was that? So whatever Elisha received, they received. And he that receives a righteous man and he that receives a missionary. I'm not going overboard. That's, okay, Philippians would be another, Philippians 4 would be another verse that would back that up. But you know, when I get to heaven someday, and I stand before the Lord, and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Here's your reward. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. What about those churches that supported us? And every time these young'uns needed to eat down there, the church paid for it, not me. And every time they needed diapers, the church paid for it. As they grew and they needed shoes and different clothes, the church paid for it. And every time we paid the rent, the church paid for it. The light bill, the church paid for it. The water bill, the church paid for it. The car, gasoline, oil, maintenance, the church paid for it. In reality, we worked, but we didn't have a, a wage outside of the American church. So do you think someday I'll stand before Jesus and he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. And here comes those good brethren that supported us for those years and paid literally every bill and every need that we had. When we went to the doctor, they paid it. What's he going to say to them? The same thing that I get, they get. We're in a yoke together, brethren. And the Lord has given us a job and we do it together. Let's pray.